0: Native Circles, a podcast for Indigenous experiences and conversations
1: dedicated to Native American and Indigenous histories from Indigenous voices and lived experiences. We talk each month with historians and intellectuals committed to working with and for Indigenous communities, especially to share Indigenous stories
0: within a circle of respect, trust and compassion. Hi, this is Sarah Newcomb, Tsimtian of the First Nations. I am of the Eagle Clan, and I am joined by my co-host, Dr. Freena King. Good to have you all here with us today. Today, we are excited to talk to Ryan Lee. He serves as the coordinator for American Indian Programs and Services. In his role, he serves as the primary advisor for the American Indian Student Association. Ryan is an enrolled member of the Navajo Nation. He is a graduate of Diné College and the first tribally controlled and accredited collegiate institution in the United States, where he received a Bachelor of Business Administration. Welcome Ryan. Thank you. Is there anything you would like to c- include in your introduction that maybe I didn't cover?
2: Uh. Do you want me to talk about my clans maybe real quick
0: yeah <laughs> you know that's
1: that you know that's the way to introduce yeah. it you didn't tell us your
2: clans <laughs> <laughs> uh also awesome. so my my clans are so Ryan Lee uh, my name is Ryan I appreciate you guys having me on and looking forward to our discussion.
0: Thank you. And thank you for joining us today. I think a good place to start, if you would, Ryan, is just sharing with us about your work with the American Indian Student Association and perhaps even some of your journey and what brought you to that work.
2: Great question. So basically, I'm the primarily uh, working with ASA, which is American Indian Student Association. I'm the advisor for them. So basically, just uh, anything they need guidance on and also just uh being like a resource tool for anybody on Asa uh, I work directly with executive members um uh, primarily with the president of Asa uh just dealing with them with the budgeting uh, event planning and the biggest one that we have coming up in April is our powwow for Asa which is uh one of the largest or maybe one of the oldest uh student-led powwows in the nation so uh, we just wanted to just show that case uh, for for what i do as well i take care of other areas such like a, a scholarship for stem majors that are, are self identified as native students it's called atnt native scholarship just dealing with students head on from freshman to senior uh they have a they do like a couple semesters of wherever they want to do but in the STEM field. And basically just, uh, you know, they do volunteer hours and, and also help with required um, AIPS events, which AIPS is American Indian Pro- Programs and Services, uh, which is my area so basically all the events that I deal with uh, they just help me out that which is part of the requirements and with that as well I also take care of a five moons lounge uh, which is located in Copeland Hall on the South Oval at OU which is basically anybody that needs like door access or you know anybody that like probably just like you know need to reserve the five moons lounge they get that through me uh, basically the five moons lounge is like a safe space for our native students at OU uh, anybody can utilize it for meetings events as well as like just downtime or even just study time in general everything that's in there is like couches uh there's also a kitchen they got tv even like um like apple tv in there and a playstation to, for them to play as well as like two study rooms in the whole lounge space so basically it's just like a safe space for our native students that i take care of and make sure it stays safe for everybody else to use and it's free to it's not just for native students but it's also free for the public to use as long they have access to uh, to the area which they could get through me basically my journey here is I just got done with maybe just three months in the job here at AIPS coordinator it's been great for me I've been doing several events such like Indigenous Peoples Day as well as Native Feast which is our newest event that I brought to the table here at AIPS um, for OU and uh, just uh, just directing those guys basically those events dealing with different planning committees Uh, we had like a Native Nation sponsor as well as um, NES uh, Native American studies helping out our area so basically just on they work together we work together for uh, IPD which is Indigenous Peoples Day it was a great Uh, transition for me to finally get to my like you know first baby steps on how to you know do events here at OU but I feel like it went successful same thing with the Native Feast we had like at least over 100 people that showed up for that which is really great for us for our first uh, annual food cuisine event so um you know as in also right now Another highlight was like, uh, we do like native game days with athletics, OU athletics. We just got done with football on uh, last Saturday for the Baylor game. Uh, it was a great turnout. Uh, we did a pregame with uh, holding up all the tribal flags of, uh, all the 39 tribal flags of Oklahoma and holding up the field. We had drum and song in the middle of OU. Uh, football field and just did like a real quick uh you know i don't know what they call it but like, it was like a two minute 30 second song uh real quick and then just heading out there and and then we also have a couple more you know game days coming up on 15th and 30th for men's basketball and women's basketball and it's going to be a halftime shows for that so basically just coordinating with athletics just collaborating with different departments that need me for different areas and just guiding students so uh, with planning and budgeting with their events with asa
1: yeah the the game day at first you know i'm new to the university of oklahoma as well so ryan and i we actually just met and it was um a awesome event of bringing a bunch of native american students staff faculty together to meet each other because university of oklahoma has some of the largest populations of Native Americans of any university on all these levels, you know, faculty, staff, and students, um, the community there. And that's where Ryan introduced himself. And he almost introduced himself like it was a rap song with his clans at that point, which I thought was really cool. So he didn't do it as much this time because he has that background with music. And as, as you shared, Sarah, with his bio, business going to a tribal college as, as his background so I'm really excited to talk more about those parts of his journey too and how that's been integral to who he is but Ryan about the game days since you mentioned that and some of these different events I it just sparked in my mind when I came here I was confused about that like because they referred to it the students that i talked to they referred to it as native games and so i thought oh is this like you know i know in alaska native communities they have uh alaska native olympics and actual games or there might be stickball or native games uh in in these different ways but could you talk about what exactly that means what is the significance of this and maybe you know, some challenges uh, that are revealed in in the efforts of, I think, you know, where it relates to awareness and, and the recognition and presence of Native American students it, at institutions that were traditionally very, you know, Eurocentric. That's how they're founded with heavy white European American foundations, you know, and, and how these spaces can be really hard. For Native American and Indigenous students. This is a topic that comes up a lot in our conversations, actually. And I think, you know, we come from these affiliations with institutions, but it, it can be applicable and understandable to anyone. So many people watch these games, for example, the the athletics of college. And especially in Oklahoma, I I travel anywhere and I see. You know, the flags, the signs of what OU teams mean to them. So to be able to see the students and the drum group there, it was viral. You know, I saw it on different social media, too. I'd love to hear your thoughts about that, you know, of what is happening through these efforts. What do do you think is really happening or hoping for or want to see
2: more of? Uh, certainly. So basically, uh, these Native game days, it's not literally like Native American students or anybody like participating in like the athletic part of it, but basically it's just more like a recognition and respect full time, uh, that we do of, uh, part of the game so what we had for football was more like the pregame uh, segment uh usually um the way it works for OU football is like they have like a certain schedule of events that happens like um I believe they do like the walk of champions with the, the football players and the coaches and then they go in with like the the parade also the marching band prior to Oklahoma goes on and then and right there um we just kind of like fit before the pride and then before like you know, the national anthem and everything. So it was like a certain time period. We had like a four minute window for football. Uh, athletics is more like a business side of it. So like I understand how business works um, with ath- ath- athletics and NCAA. So, um, I'm not, you know, unfamiliar, but, uh, some students are kind of like bring us a sense that, Hey, like, you know, we don't, we don't have like a certain t- a time window that we could expand because it's a business at the end of the day. And I kind of reassure that for my students. And so basically this the how the native game day works is just like like so we had this year it was a four-minute window for football, and we just uh, had like a pregame game setup. So basically we just walk out with the the drummers first so that way they could get set up in the middle of the football field. And then we, all the 39 uh tribal flags go out with different student volunteers as well as tribal liaison and everything. So basically they all go out there uh just to represent um, you know, a tribe of Oklahoma. And some some of these um people they just claim a tribal flag of their own like if they're osage they get the osage to get cherokee to get the cherokees and so on so on so um basically you know some people do claim flags some don't it, it varies but uh at the end of the day all 39 flags go on there. drum song are set and um four minutes so they just do like a quick uh, three minute song or two and a half minute song and just do something uh, like a drum I don't know what kind of song they did this year but um but it was went viral like you said all over social media Facebook Instagram and then we also had our Mr and Mrs Um uh, Indian OU or Mr Indigenous OU I should say basically was doing all that and we had our Mr Indigenous OU I guess he's a powwow dancer or actually uh corn dancer I should say basically uh he went out there uh did a little dancing out there while the Jones are going and it really went off from there and I oh,
1: that was Mr Indigenous OU yes. doing the dance oh yes. and he's a student a current yes, student. A student okay yeah awesome that that's really you know very special if you think about it too all like student and OU community-led as well
2: yeah. And it's very, we try to make it more student led because it's, you know, their time to shine and everything. So I love to get the spotlight to them more than myself. I'm just there to guide them at the end of the day. Uh, so, so basically, you know, he was out there dancing and I guess like a, a couple of drummers have friends in the stands, like in a nosebleed or something. They just said like during that time, like um, the, their friends are out there in a the nosebleed. like, you know, when they got them up there. Um, they did the announcement for Asa and had announcement for my name and who's on the field right now. And then basically all like, you know, uh, everybody in the stands, you know, different diversities, uh, majority white, of course. But, uh, you know, they all just, you know, stay quiet. Like you could hear like a pin drop and just hear like people just doing that and drumming. And by the end of the, the segment, everybody was applauding. They said it was a really loud noise. Just, you know, it was a good, you know, vibe with you know showing respect for our culture our people and it's just like it, it was great after that and then afterwards you know just having some pictures with the uh some of the dancers as well as the drummers with with different um you know people that you know are fans that want to take pictures with them so it was it was great to you know have that recognition and show showcase that to other people that may not be familiar but at least we get a sense what's going on and it's it's during the month of uh, Native American Heritage Month, of course, and that's the whole purpose of these Native Game Days is to just have that recognition and awareness of the Heritage Month that we have in November.
1: Yeah, thank you for sharing that, because what I think, even when I saw, I mean, my own family in Navajo Nation, they're the ones who showed me the video. I wasn't able to go to the game, unfortunately, Um, but that's where I saw the video was my cousin in Diné Biqueia he sends me this image and and he just was so proud you know he was really excited to see that attention and focus and it was another I think she was Dene as well who was a female singer in the group the only female singer
2: yes she is
1: okay that's that's what I thought and um so she had made a post that was public and said just what that meant to her and expressed that, you know, on a on this public post. And she did put, you know, it, to me, I have to say, it is very, very deep and powerful. There's levels to this, because mm-hmm. what a lot of people may not realize is, you know, on the post, she put hashtag I think something like sooner boomer you know the sooners of of ou and and the boomers and just recently i heard my mentor and advisor dr don fixico he's writing a book that will be coming out about the state of sequoia how oklahoma there once before oklahoma was a state there was a petition and an effort by Native Americans, and especially Cherokee, for example, to um, have a Native American state to the union, and they were proposing it being called the state of Sequoia. So what I'm saying is, uh, Dr. Fixico, he started to delve into you know, who are the Sooners? Who were they? Who were the boomers? And that there's a perspective, indigenous perspectives have just been ignored, erased, silenced. You know, we can say it in all these different ways Um, of how there's all this celebration of especially white settlers coming in and being seen as cultivating the land and claiming it, you know, under the identities of, of boomers and Sooners. But they are not acknowledging the loss and the dispossession of indigenous peoples, or you know, that indigenous peoples are still here. You know, when you hear the song Oklahoma, people don't even know that the playwright, um, Lynn Riggs, who helped to inspire it, he actually has Cherokee connections himself. And that's left out of this. So for me, that was just really powerful um, to see because there is a controversial past. There is, you know, about um, Indian mascots, athletics, and all these kind of contested, they are contested spaces and histories. And for that moment of my own family, hundreds of miles away are sharing this, that, that there is the native voice and the dance that is actually you know, natives doing it themselves, and um, the students, native students themselves, wow, you know, I just have to say that's really awesome. But I don't know, did a thought like that, you know, did that kind of meaning resonate with anyone else there you saw or, or something different? Because you were there, you were there, right?
2: Yes, uh, I was there. Uh, they even s- said my name on the announcement and I was like, wow, like, you know, this is a dream country. Cause I-, I think I mentioned this to you for, you know, like, you know, OU has always been something special to my heart. Like, you know, I've been wanting to become here as a student, you know, be part of OU, but never really happened until now as a staff. Like my, my, my journey, which we could talk about later is like, it's literally like, you know, like a movie trying to get here and just even go further with more goals of mind. So this is one of the goals I'm tackling right now. It's, it's, it's just a dream, but being there at the moment. I know some students, you know, really felt the presence of all the fans around them. Maybe some of them felt nervous because there was, like, thousands in the stands at that time, you know, during pregame. But, uh, yeah, it was definitely something, you know, they really going to cherish. And they loved the energy. And and at the end of the day, they just loved how, like, how it just went smoothly at the end. So,
0: yeah. Thanks for sharing all that. It must have been beautiful. I wish I I could have seen it. Like, just that when you were talking about the silence and how you could hear pin drop, like – I can completely imagine how how it felt, even when I, anytime that I watch dancers and the drums start from various indigenous cultures, it's always that same kind of feeling that I get. So having it in such a, in that kind of situation where there's so many people that were able to experience it is really cool. Um, When you were uh, talking about kind of your work and like, some of your experiences you've already had. When you started sharing about the Native Feast and how that was something you started, I got kind of excited. I'm like, wait, this is something that's really meaningful to him. And I was kind of wondering how your own culture and experiences were part of perhaps what inspired and influenced the creation of the Native Feast.
2: Uh, yes. Uh, so basically, uh, when I got in this role as AIPS coordinator back in the uh, beginning of August, uh, my supervisor, which is Wonker uh, Burra, uh which is uh, he's associate director of uh, multicultural communities uh basically uh he just gave me a task like you know here's what's done before here's what we always been doing and then like he gave me like a a challenge to where like hey maybe like you know since you're here you never know you might want to make something new out of this role, do something fun with it so i was like you know i'm just like brainstorming ideas he gave me like the first week like brainstorm some ideas that's done by other institutions i research and, and then also from my other institution dinner college basically i kind of took everything from that and be like hey maybe i could do this uh, food cuisine event and it's never been done before or maybe it was but it you know it wasn't like successful to where like it's still going on right now so basically uh i was just like maybe we should make a food cuisine and it's like what's better than to do something like this when our culture native culture is you know, part of it's food and we have different food tribes have different dishes. And I was like, maybe we'll make something out of it. So the whole goal and purpose was trying to bring all 39, uh, tribal federally recognized tribes in Oklahoma, have them bring a dish. Um, that's that's signature to their tribe or any kind of affiliations with other ones, uh, only and then kind of bring it to together and just like serve it to like our students, our community, our staff and faculty, just give them a taste like, Hey, this is what. Uh, a signature dish from our um, Chickasaw Nation. This is from what's from our Osage Nation. So like different tribes have their own kind of tribes or their own dishes, I should say. And they brought it out. Uh, we didn't get quite as uh, all the 39. We probably get, at least got like a little bit less than half, but we, it was an attempt and it's our first go around. Uh, next year will be more organized to where we're gonna have like a student committee trying to reach out to different uh, tribal leaders to see if they know anybody that can cook and bring a dish at OU. Uh, we had it at jim thorpe multicultural center this year and basically just getting a taste of how it's going to go down for the next years coming on and so forth so uh you know basically it was a great event we had over 100 people show out um we ran out of food probably like after like two and a half hours but it was really great and it was a great 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 turnout everybody just been complimenting how we can improve and i know we can improve better because you know it's just the first go around get a little taste but uh, what also inspired me to do this was because like other multicultural communities I work with, which is our African-American, uh, Latino, as well as Asian-American, a lot of them have their own food cuisines uh, event. So like uh, I think Asian Food Fair got done last, uh, just yesterday. Uh, Latino Flavors, what they call theirs, um, is going to be done next spring. So I wanted to like, you know, put our community to that kind of forefront and just like hey, like we have our own food culture. With our community as well so that's what inspired me to do this for this year
0: that's so beautiful and what's what's really cool about it too is through like cultural erasure our foods were also part of what was kind of being erased and so central to our communities control over food sources and and so kind of bringing that into where all these different tribes can meet and experience the different foods. Like I'm kind, I'm getting goosebumps. I'm like, that's so cool. Like really beautiful to, to give that kind of experience to students and to the next generation. So great job. I'm, I'm excited to see where that goes and yeah, yeah, cheering you on. I think, I think (laughs) that is definitely worth, so much investment and time it's yeah invaluable
1: I like how you also were looking at other communities you know diverse communities and how that is such a part of identity and community you know that gathering around food so yay awesome stuff (laughs) exciting stuff and then you also you did mention your background at Danae College um, and I'd love to, you know, talk about that a little more because I think there's many listeners and even in academia. Um, I would say, unfortunately, there's a lot of division and silos, you know, uh, in higher education and, you know, these kind of lines are just lack of understanding of tribal colleges and universities. Um, and would love to get your insights a little more about that, helping to introduce that to people because you navigate all these different spaces of higher education, of education, and even through your own journey of being, um, you know, Dene young man. And, and like you said, it could be a movie. I'd love to hear that movie line. Can you tell us like a little more about that? What, what is Dene College and your experience there? What did you learn there, you know, that you think is important? to a general audience to understand
2: awesome so let me just uh, step back a little bit about like the movie and how i got to dinner college <laughs> yeah um,
1: definitely yeah, yeah.
2: so basically like uh like people always like when i got in this role like people ask like what's your hometown like where you been at and i'm like i can never give them like a clear answer because i've been all over the place so basically i just say oh i just you know, move here and there. Feel like a nomad, if that makes sense. <laughs> but, uh, basically, uh, I-, I was born in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, was, I lived there for 10 years. Um, you know, I thought I was going to be there for a while or maybe my whole life, but it didn't turn out that way. The reason why is my dad, uh, he moved around different places for his job that he was working at at that time, which was like a fortune 500 company called 3M. Uh, so basically, uh, he was working there at the time I was born we were I was like through elementary years. And then we eventually moved uh, to a, a Twin Cities, Minnesota, um, which is like St. Paul, Minneapolis, to be more specific, a place called Hastings, which is one of the rural places uh, in Minneapolis. I uh, lived there for a year. And then uh, after a year, we moved to a place called Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, which is, uh, upstate South Carolina or be more specific. Uh, it's like a rural place called Fountain Inn, Fountain Inn, uh, South Carolina. So basically lived there for four years through like middle school and, and, and freshman year of high school. And then, then from there moved to a place called Raleigh, North Carolina or more, or more specific, I should say is Holly Springs, North Carolina, which is the rural place of Raleigh. Uh, and then I finished, uh, high school there. And then so from there, like I was kind of like thinking like maybe I should just like um, go for like maybe the armed forces or army or something like that. I was thinking like that really clear path. Uh, just because i didn't really have much opportunities out of high school i was more like a jock in high school playing high school sports and just caring about that more than a- academics just to be you know bland and honest with you guys but uh but my but my parents were very you know inspirational for me and they just persuaded me to keep going for my education like you know the how the native philosophy has always been taught with naval especially as keep going for your education so basically i was like okay i'll give it a chance and i was thinking something locally at North Carolina but I was like no nah, I, I don't. I can't qualify for that and then my dad's like maybe you should go uh, to this place called dinner college which is your own place and it's like okay I'll give it a chance and so like I never really interacted with um my own people like that before I mean I had visits before but it was never like like for a long time like maybe for a couple of days and head out but this was like the real deal uh and this was back in 2014. um so basically I, I took the chance and uh went Back to the reservation, a place called Salie, Arizona, which is like probably like the heartland of the Navajo Nation near like Chinle. Uh, just to give a perspective for my Navajo folks out there. Uh, so basically, like in the middle, uh, Salie, Arizona is going there. 2014, and I I've been doing a degree program, business administration. I was only planning to be there for two years and then transfer out to maybe like you know hopefully it was oklahoma at that time but then they opened up during that time at dinner college that they were doing like a bachelor program for business administration so i was like okay so it was never been done before because it used to be a two-year accredited institution and it got four years and it's like okay i'll just stay here it's it's very cheap affordable it was only like 660 dollars tuition so it was very affordable for the semester so i was like okay i'll just keep continuing myself here and I kept going and then I finished out at 2019 was the year and it, I got my bachelor's degree in business administration during my time. I was working as a data analysis for a reporting and institutional uh, as well as a computer technician for it as an intern and did RA for residential or I should say residence life over there. I did in college. So did many uh, internships there. And then uh, when I left there, I lived in Phoenix for a while, uh, specifically Tempe, Arizona. So uh, I did a couple of sales jobs, but not too much to where like it will stand out on my resume, unfortunately, but uh, I lived there for a while. And then uh, to make ends meet to live in Phoenix for a while was like, just like living off like delivery apps, like Uber Eats, Coastmates, and, um, you know, DoorDash trying to survive a little bit, <laughs> if that makes sense. But, uh, uh and then after a few months there after graduation from um, college uh i got a opportunity to be a recruiter at dinner college so i took the chance in november 2019 to be a recruiter Uh, so basically i just go everywhere to um, get students from high schools from um, GEDs, or something like that just bring them in to dinner college and did local schools as well as like as far as oklahoma or even north carolina to um bring them into Diné College. And and, and Diné College is more like, uh, you know, a tribal college for everybody. It's the first tribal college in the U.S. for Native Americans. And it was established in 1968. Uh, to be more specific, uh, it was originally for Native, or not Native, I should say it was specifically for Navajo, but it opened up, you know, later on to all the Natives or anybody can come here. So we had like international students before, like from Nigeria, from Africa, from um, even the UK, and they all came here. And even my best friend of my program, he was uh, from Haiti. And so basically um, you know, different diversities were there at the tribal college as well. So uh it was it was a great experience. Um I, I I'm glad I kind of experienced my own heartland people, just because it, it's just I never lived with um other novels before. Like I would always be like, you know, with the different diversities, like in our language we'll call like uh Biliganas or or genies or something like that, you know, something like that, which is translation of white people and um African American people. So basically, you know. Have that different diversity kind of way and it coming back to like being part of the majority that it was very you know very experimental and i at first i wasn't really accepted because you know people said like oh you're not you don't know your language you don't know the culture you never you don't know how to make like fried bread or something like that so like it was kind of hard to adjust to like people like that at the college or even naval nation in general but over time when i grew myself there uh, I started learning more about language, learning about the culture there and just learn to adapt and to the point like, you know, I know how to, you know, chop firewood or know how to make a fire, make fried bread from scratch and all that. So uh, things like that, you know, I really got taught that and I have a lot of family there as well uh, from Fort Defiance, from Shiprock, New Mexico, and even my wife's family right now. She lives, uh, has family in Likuchigai, uh Blue Gap or Chinle, so different places like that. Um, you know, I feel like I felt more home now since the time I started back in 2014 when I didn't know anything, but I left uh, in a college uh, around like 2021, 20, I should say, as a recruiter, Did at least about two years there uh, as a recruiter. Uh, just helping out the institution as much as I can till like the pandemic really took over. And to that point, that's when I lost my job because of, you know, in person wasn't there. And that was a big part of my job. And they just let me go because of budget cuts and everything. So I was like, okay, I'll just scramble to find another job. So, uh, you know, the college was great for me. It was, it was an experience that I love. And from there, it's like, it was like a journey from getting to where I was in Omaha to, reservation and just kind of experience like how that benefit me and then you know to the point like maybe I could go back one of these days and just like be one of the leaders if if so that'd be great but it it just it was such a a great time and you know I made many friendships Uh, I know a lot of people and and if this podcast gets broadcast I'm pretty sure they'll hear me over there be like oh he's Norman Oklahoma he's doing fine so I'm sure it'll get around over there on Navajo Nation because I know a lot of connections a lot of people everywhere over there so yeah uh, little light over there so they'll love it that uh I'm over here doing well and representing you know Dineh out here as well so they'll love that for sure
1: yeah and then you say Yate. hello everyone <laughs> <laughs> how are y'all doing no that that is really incredible because I think your journey it disrupts and unpacks a lot of people's Stereotypes, preconceptions, you know, about Native Americans and their experiences that you've lived in so many different places among different peoples. And you also, you and your family, sustain those connections to homeland, to your ancestral homelands of, like you said, the heartland, as you called it. Um, And I love that phrase. That's so beautiful. So thank you uh, for for using that, you know, because I think that gets at it, right? It's like, where our blood our our heart and our our connections are. And it's, it sounds like a journey of coming full circle. And it's not the end, you know, but that there's a lot of cycles and life isn't just the linear linear process Mm -hmm. uh, from A to B. And That's so neat, too, that your parents encouraged you to go to Denae College. And then that relationship sounds really powerful there. Um, But I wondered as well, what, you know, you, how would you describe, there's so much there. (laughs) Because I'm, I'm like, how do you describe, especially like you said, Living in all these different places like a nomad and you're in this diaspora of living in cities and and places that a lot of Americans, they can relate to. Right. Many Americans have have some similar experiences, but they don't associate that with Native Americans many of the time. And they Native Americans often become invisible in those urban spaces, too. So then how do you describe what you learned? On that life journey and then coming to Danae College, your experience there of, as you said, reconnecting, you know, in many ways and learning and and strengthening those ties of knowledge, especially Indigenous knowledge, because that's something that, as you mentioned, Danae College is one of the first, if not the first tribal okay. college of that, of that level because i do know there's been other tribal nations that did open up high uh did open up institutions of education their own schools like cherokee nations started um the female seminaries and and muskogee Uh, it was chickasaw had an academy or or just different experiences there dene college known as previously as navajo community college they started this model and it was centered on indigenous knowledge being sure that that was the value system that they were going to get across did you, did you sense that you know how would you describe that as you were a student there and especially from your background of coming from a very different places than a lot of your fellow classmates and i do also have to add that was really awesome how you mentioned there is diversity at Denae College, too, that you met students from beyond the United States even. And people, I did not know that. So thank you for sharing that,
0: too.
2: Yes, uh, certainly. So, um, you know, bring, going back to like what you stated about, like, you know, how to bring like the. The level, of like, you know, being in the city to compare to being on the reservation or the res, they call it. Um, basically, is like, you know, when I was a recruiter, like it just bring like a sense, like, you know, of like, you know, I could relate to a student uh, if they never if they need that reassurance. Uh, meaning by that, um, some students that were in the city like Phoenix or like Albuquerque or even like here in Oklahoma, Oklahoma City. uh like people live in, you know, like the rural or, or urban areas. And, and to the point, like, you know, people probably don't know what a res looks like and they don't know like, oh, this is like how with the, you know, with the the outhouses, or even just chopping wood, you know, build a fire, which we don't have heat in our houses, or some people don't have running water or electricity. They don't know that kind of side. So there's been recruiters or even like people the that college that, you know, that do that, you know, explain that perspective to, to those students but it never got across to them because they didn't live that life. So for me, it was so beneficial when I was there and many of my supervisors and colleagues were just applauding me, like, you know, good thing you took that role and being that kind of representation for us because we would never explain that because we were on the risk, but you lived off the reservation all your life. And then you also lived on the reservation for like almost a decade as well. So um, basically bringing both sides together, is like, you know, like a tale of two cities kind of thing to where like, I know, how it is here like you know i i know how like you know apartment living i know by street names i always went by that or like even like over oh, where are the destinations or street intersections if you want to say i know that ling- lingo and then going back to the rest, I know how that lingo as well. So basically, I know how to, you know, if it was someone in the urban area, I would know how to talk to them and, and relate to them to that personal level, or even like personal level to like they talk about the family situation that have kind of similar family situation, what they're going through. And then and then also with the rest perspective, like dealing with the local schools on the Navajo Nation, uh, talking about what they go through. And I talk about my experience at Denton College, because that's the center of like, you know, what my understanding for the reservation, because I have, you know, family that's on the reservation that, you know, taught me to how to do certain things like food, the chores, even as simple as like, you know, how to survive without electricity and water for a time as well. So, you know, again, I just go back to the tales the two sides that I know both sides, and it's just very beneficial for whatever I did. And to, to my time there, I brought enrollment as a recruited from the college up by like five seven percent uh enrollment numbers going higher so it was a great jump and you know everybody was just applauding me how i could you know show my efforts to build the college and now i think it's still doing well to my understanding but you know laying that foundation for the next person to understand hey we got to relate to these guys as well and, and even as a student as did college um basically you know no, I, I go back to like, you know, I wasn't the one that was fitting into well, because like people were all, all like all know each other kind of similar. And then as well as like um, instructors, it didn't really, you know, thought like, you know, this was like, why is this city boy doing this kind of classroom or something like that and trying to learn. but. Um, over time you, you have to earn that respect and that's what I did and even as simple as like our I think it was like one of the Navajo language one-on-one classes I had to take okay. as a free work uh I had to like uh just try like you know understand because I didn't got taught language all my life and then and then we go to this one-on-one level class in college over there they just expect you to know like the alphabet the numbers and all that and I'm like I haven't been taught that so I had a great uh mentor uh, his name is Roger Benali he really uh, taught me how to do everything from like a baby level to their level so to to I'm not I can't say that I'm the fluent type right now I'm still learning myself but I mean I know more than I was than, than I did before so basically he was a great mentor helping me you know baby steps learning the language and you know there's also tough instructors uh, to be honest uh, that are Navajo. like you know they have Navajo culture classes to where like they go in detail like oh how to do weaving or how to how does a dog go, or even like, uh, how, uh, you know, certain ceremonies go? So they they have these different cult- culture classes that go more in detail, and ha- and the culture classes are like night classes. So it's like three hour classes. You have to really pay attention to an instructor, and they're really strict for a reason because they're so you know they have all that expertise. They want to showcase what they learn. And, you know, an way, you know, they tell you to, you stay up no matter what, because like, this is important teaching and you should learn from your elders, that kind of thing. That's, that's the message they are trying to, you know, come across and everything. So it was a, it was uh, it was like kind of like a strict kind of learning style with the instructors there. Uh, but it, it was, it meant, it was good purpose for that because I think if, if they didn't do that, then I wouldn't have stayed up the whole time trying to learn all these different culture things. But I mean, it's a great experience and these guys, Really do they they know their craft and i'm glad they're they're doing that still and to the point like i think you know i learned i, I know more than like maybe my sister who's here as well at the at ou uh she never lived on the reservation so i kind of give her like hey this is how it goes and she's like what really is like that's how it goes it's like yeah so basically you know just again going back to like you know i know both sides you know you know whenever i go back to like maybe like winter break. Uh, you know, maybe like go back to the reservation. I always help out my wife's family, just chopping wood and like, Oh, you just lo- it looks like you're just, you know, back on the res and this you've been living here all your life, that kind of feeling. So, so I know how, how both sides go. And it, it really helps out. Where, that, whatever I'm
1: that is very powerful. And thank you, you know, for sharing that window into these personal experiences, you know, uh that People say it's walking two worlds, but I, I do pause there because it's even more multifaceted than that. Like you're you're even talking about living in whole different states like Minnesota, the Carolinas and then the reservation and wherever you live, these local environments, there is local knowledge there's ways of being and doing and and that is very tied to place right that you're mentioning there are places in the nebukeya navajo nation that do not have running water you know even access to clean water and there's impacts of water contamination you know that's a whole other thing and that you know there's a history there of the place that's related to those kind of dynamics or electricity, you know, that I think many Americans don't even realize when they're thinking so-called, quote, third world country. They don't know this is, um has been many Native Americans experiences and that you were there during the COVID-19 pandemic. I mean, I'm sure you could write a whole book about that, you know, or have so much to share of how Navajo Nation was hard hit, like everyone, but disproportionately, the death rates, the impact of it was very devastating. And it was a ground zero of COVID-19 and brought into the light for a lot of people, though for many indigenous peoples, we knew this was a slow, um, it was a train wreck in slow motion is what I mean, because you knew there were these vulnerabilities and risks, but it brought into light for the media and different attention, the disparities. So I just have to say that too, you know, if people don't know what you're talking about, you mentioned you you lost a job, you know, because of the hardships at that time. And many people did, but to also emphasize what else is going on in that context that, that I don't think a general public might be aware of it's uh unimaginable you know the kind of hardships that that people face when your greatest uh protection is washing your hands and not everyone not every american could even do that you know let me emphasize that and they haven't been able to for for generations you know um but i do want to say two things that you made me think about i had to say this because um it came into my mind I am so grateful for the mentors that you had at Diné College and and you shared, you know, it wasn't easy. There's some challenges and differences because this really gets at dynamics of Native American identity that even whoever is listening to this, you know, there are contestations not over land, but also identity of who defines us, who defines what it means to be Diné or, you know, Simpson, you know, for Sarah or, indigenous whatever whatever these aspects are and i think your story brings again um a spotlight you know it helps us a window a lens into these kind of dynamics because being able to as you did you know face certain challenges to learn to have all these kind of different learning experiences be a part of who you are and that you are the and your sister is but you had all these other very different experiences you know that it distinguishes you from maybe other dinner you met at dinay college and then you had met that instructor who took you under his wing you know and really supported you because i do have to say i have a cousin who shared an experience at a tribal college where he was in a Navajo class, and he didn't learn Navajo growing up. And there's various reasons for that, right? Even trauma. My dad didn't teach me Navajo language, that was his first language. But as I've shared before, um and talked about, I'm learning about the trauma he faced, all the hard things and what he went through in boarding school and in different experiences, you know, we can say whatever reasons, but there's that is a real issue, the struggle of continuing uh languages indigenous languages and and also ceremonies that the indigenous knowledge that has been under direct attack you know it just has just been under attack and and on the choppy block of extermination you know of of that intentional religion laws have suppressed them um these schools all these different forces you know And so my cousin goes to a a Navajo class and he shared that the teacher had um, the students separated by who knows Navajo and who doesn't. And he had him raise his hands, raise their hands, like who didn't know Navajo. And to him, it was very shaming. And he said that the instructor was really harsh to him. Now, this wasn't the Dine College, I'll say that. But um, he shared this with me, and it was really heartbreaking for me to hear that he felt shamed for not knowing Navajo by, uh, you know, in a Navajo class. And he was feeling like it's not my fault, you know, that I don't know the language. Why are you blaming me and giving me this hard time? And I I just am really touched by the instructor who did not judge you that way and must have, you know, seen that you are trying to learn and you took that effort and there's a real relationship there. Um, And then, you know, there's always... Uh, tests and contestations over education, even Diné education. There's so many diverse Diné communities. If you're from Chinle or Crown Point or Tonines Dizit or Sabian in Disgay, you know, Monument Valley, these are very different communities. And so I find even in the Navajo language, there's different pronunciations depending on where you are. So then at a uni at a college where they're saying this is what you're tested on, this is the standard, that can still be debated and in flux. And so that was really eye-opening for me too about, you know, indigenous knowledge, what we mean by it is people have to understand it's not just a white and native relationship, but how natives to natives relate and I I sure in your position at university of oklahoma with the diversity of native american students at in norman and the students you work with i i am sure these experiences experiences you shared with us are supporting you and that work now where you might have students like you said on the other end of it you know of they're from the reservation coming to a predominantly white population a white school. And now, you know, you know how to relate to that and you're working the best to support them. So that's what I, I wanted to point out. I don't know if that relates to you or maybe I'm just putting words out there, but those are some thoughts that came to my mind or Sarah, either that you wanted to add anything to that as we start to conclude here due to our time. But thank you, thank you for sharing these very deep and personal experiences that um, are are inspiring and you know help me to support my family, my relatives, and even my journey too in a lot of these spaces.
2: If I could say real quick, like, uh, yeah, it's like definitely you know, that instructor really helped me. There's other mentors there, like residence life uh, department you got uh, student affairs there that really helped me through my journey, uh, just the support and and that's why I feel like you know that's what Denali College really strives. is really strong at is because of the support system. They make you feel like family there, and they want to help one another. Help you know, help you get a, a degree there. So uh, they really do their best to you know make sure everyone has an equal amount of opportunity to graduate, to go whatever degree they're trying to go for. Um, you know, and then there's also some structure instructors I should say like um you know they do kind of be harsh at you and they'll probably pinpoint but. The end of the day, that's just the way they're brought up. And some Navajo people are brought up in the kind of hard kind of lifestyle that they went through just to get to that, you know, position that they're at right now. But, you know, I do respect, you know, what they're trying to propose and what they go through. Uh, you know, sometimes like, you know, even my upbringing, you know, I had that tough love when um, growing up. So basically, it's nothing new to myself. So um, just, you know, learning that tough love and then just have that support system with different departments, even with um even my close um instructors as well, of course, as friends um that I got to know during my time. So it's been it's been a journey for me. And then here at OU, it's just, you know, it's it's nothing the same or not, yeah. It's not really the same, but like it's still, you know, feels like home because of the native community here is, you know, one of the largest in the nation because we have all the 39 tribes here and plus even more that goes elsewhere to come in here. Uh, so basically, you know, there's, you know, a great diversity of, of, different tribes here, uh, within our native community, which is great and, you know, similar to our native or native area, which is Babel Nation. So it's, it's really great to hear like, you know, different tribes and how their tribal uh, reservations are, or how their lifestyle goes, or even just hearing the language tongue. So it, it really, you know, I really applaud, you know, these guys trying to, st- Bring that kind of culture back and trying to keep it alive as much as possible. Which I see with my ASA students, as you know, I really applaud them to keep striving as well. And I think you know, with my influence, of what I went through, uh, you know, because I I went through the hard times, like you know, with the the racist racist slurs and all that growing up, or even not even being recognized as uh, a native because you know when you're being around different diversities. Me growing up, they always say, "Oh, I thought they were extinct," or it would be like, or I thought you were like Chinese or Mexican or something like that, or Filipino, stuff like that. Like I got that kind of kind of racist slurs towards myself. And I went through it like that. And it's not just me, but all my my sisters that I have that went through that position. Um, but we just kept going through it. And even when we did tell them we're not like Navajo or Native or something, I was like, oh, I thought they are extinct. Oh, do you guys have like teepees or arrows or something like that? And I was like, no, it was, it's different. And I even have like, you know, if you want to go more in detail, like I have um, bloodline with on um, Chief Manolito which is one of our leaders. So I have family ties for that um, with my blood inside me. So basically leadership is all in my blood right now and I feel it. And then, and I know like uh, the college, if they hear this, they, they'll say the same thing, too, that they you know pretty sure they want me back and be one of their leaders one day. I even had like this former supervisor who was like an executive director for um, OIPR, which is mm-hmm. like their office of institutional reporting over there and then um, basically they she was saying like you, you could probably like go to university and then come back with maybe your phd and be our president here one day so uh they see that out of me and i'm trying like to make them you know feel proud and trying to bring that back and help my people as much as i can because you know i didn't have my ties on the reservation growing up but i want to you know bring it back and be like hey i want to help them now do what i can and you never know i might run for naval nation president one day so we'll see <laughs>
1: big election that just happened <laughs> right yeah election time is around yeah thank you oh.
0: I just wanted to also thank you for your vulnerability and your openness you talked a little bit about how you started to earn their trust and respect while you were there and I I can see how and why you were able to do that because of this side of you that's just authentic and vulnerable i also really appreciate and wanted to acknowledge how many indigenous people who are raised away from their people will relate to what you've shared and what your experience is we are so drawn to our own people and when we reconnect even in small ways it is so deep and immediate like it's hard to explain what happens inside that feeling that i just i don't know how to describe but it's just immediate and it kind of drives us. And uh, yeah, I was was raised in 16 different states and two of those times, like twice, we moved back to the reservation for a little bit and I went to school there. And just being around my people, it had such a huge impact, just the short amount of time. It was only probably a year total between the two years because it was never a full school year but it had such a massive impact on my understanding of who my people are and were, and like the impact on who I am and kind of what drives me. And so like when you shared about all of that, I think it's so important for younger generations to hear the messiness of it all, that it's okay to learn. It's okay to reclaim. It's okay to reconnect and it's okay to be messy with language. Uh, This story that, Farina shared of the one student who got, you know, yelled at for not knowing the language. But I'm like, it was cultural erasure and all of our people that were like brought to the residential schools and had language basically beaten out of them. And so every messy attempt, like I'm I'm terrible with pronunciation of my language, but learning it had it's so central in me reconnecting and healing in just these weird subtle ways for myself and how that feeling that indescribable feeling of just that i just don't yeah i just don't know how to describe it's very similar when i hear drums or watch people dancing and just that um attempts that i make to try to messy say any words i can just feel myself honoring those who weren't able to speak it, who had it beaten out of them. And I keep them like with me when I'm trying that. So yeah, just thank you so much for your vulnerability. Thank you for your openness. And yeah, I I hope lots of younger generations are able to hear different variations. You know, we all have different experiences. But yeah, every time we share that journey of (laughs) of like going back, it's it's hard to describe, but it is beautiful. Thank you
2: thank you guys
1: yeah I was going to also ask you know if there's any resources as well um, that you want to point out links anything that has really been a support to you because you've faced all these kind of challenges and like you said you can become a leader an example You know, for those students you work with, people you come across in your life, even anybody who listens to this episode, you know. And so if there was a a book or a source or something, even songs, music, because I know we didn't get a chance to talk as much about your music background. Maybe we'll have to have another episode in the future about that. That'd be awesome. And I know you know some cool people in the in the music industry too or or dance and everything that that we've talked about. Um but if you have any other uh resources, we can link that on the site as well and want to emphasize that for people. But is there anything you'd like to add before we wrap up today as we close
2: no i think that's about it we'll definitely talk more maybe set another podcast for like maybe music in general next time for sure uh but you know, basically just i uh, just want to give a shout out for like you know dinner college for helping me through the journey as well as everybody that helped me through there and you know to where i got to my dream college here at ou so and also you know thank you guys for bringing me here discussing this It's uh, i really love talking about like you know anything naval related or even just native american related in general it just makes like um you know me being like more humble to where I am right now, and also just like give me a sense of belongingness as well. So I really appreciate what you guys do, and just keep up with the podcast series. It's it's a, it feels like a hit. So thank you. Yeah,
0: text at noon. Thank you. Thank you.